0: You know, I know there, based on what I get in the report, there are about 30-some people walking through the Mission 119 uh, right now connected to our church family. Uh, Some of you may not be doing Mission 119, but you're already in a disciplined approach of reading God's Word each day. Um, We've intentionally been trying to, we're not going to, for a year and a half, always be focused on Mission 119 in the sense of our, our sermon topics uh, but when I can have seasons where we pick scripture that aligns with what we're reading, I think it's appropriate, and just to kind of have a time where we can talk about what a little bit about what you're reading. And uh, for those of you that are not part of that, you're not going to be left out. Uh, we're going to be focusing on just it'd be just a basic message, focusing on a specific text. But you know, if you're if you're in Mission 119, and maybe it's the first time you've attempted to read through God's Word as a whole. Uh, or maybe if you're not doing it right now, you've had those times where you've said, I'm going to read through the entire Bible, and you start in Genesis, and you read through Genesis, and you usually get to Exodus, and, and then it starts getting a little difficult. Exodus into Leviticus, when it starts giving all these detailed legal codes and, and, and how we're to live our lives and, and how Israel was to live in relationship to this holy God, it, it gets heavy. And if you're if you're honest, <laughs> and I, it, it's real easy to sometimes be reading those passages and just like tune out and like, okay, when can I get to something else? And am I the only one that's ever felt that way? I mean, okay. Um, And I I appreciate that Pastor Soper broke things up. He took us to the New Testament for a while. He had us in the Psalms for a while. He kind of breaks it up so so you're not just going right through Genesis uh, into Exodus Exodus and Leviticus, because that's honestly, when I talk to people that have good intentions of reading through God's word and they try to go from Genesis to Revelation, it's normally somewhere in Exodus and Leviticus that they give up. And so I want to encourage you today, if if you're in this process, don't give up. I think Reverend Soper really does a good job of highlighting some things to help us. Uh, But what I'd like to do is today and next week just highlight some of the themes that we see in Exodus and Leviticus to take away some of the larger uh, themes and message that we can apply to our own hearts and our own lives. And today we're going to be looking at that issue of God's presence and, and God's glory and specifically, we're, looking, we're going to look at Moses' relationship as, as we see in Exodus 33. Moses is such a unique uh, individual because he's, he's leading God's chosen people, but he's also, in this situation in chapter 33 and throughout his leadership, he's regularly interceding for the people as well. Uh, he, he really fulfills a role in a very real way as like leader as well as priest uh, for Israel. Uh, and, and so there's there's this focus that we're going to look at today of uh, following chapter Exodus 32 is the incident where Moses is on the mountaintop to re- receive the commandments from God, and and Aaron, Moses' own brother, leads his people to create an idol and to worship this false god, and and it ends in later in Exodus 32 in the beginning of Exodus 33. God, God is ready to destroy, to destroy and just start over. He's, he's like, I'm just going to wipe them out. I'm, I'm going to start again. And and, and and he goes on, though, to say that, okay, they're still my people, but I'm, I'm not going to go with them. And, and he promises that he'll send an angel with them. But he, he, do, he no longer is promising his own presence that has been guiding them with the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud that has led them out of Egypt. God, God has been intimately in the midst of his people. And so Exodus 33 that we're going to look at today is you see this account where Moses is, is, is pleading with God to focus or to be present with his people. And so that's what we're going to look at. But I, through this whole thing today, I want us to look at the account specifically from the perspective of Moses in light of, again, connecting to Mission 119, what can we learn from Moses that helps us know how we approach God's word? Because I think if we take the principles that we'll see in Moses' life and, and, and in this account, it can transform the way that we approach God's word daily uh, if, if we take these, these same themes and approaches in our own hearts and our own lives. But let's go ahead and look at Exodus 33. We're going to be reading verses 7 through 23. Says now, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses would, went into the tent, all of the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. Kind of reminded, we had an incident last night, I'm not even sure what happened. A lot of ambulances in our neighborhood walked outside, and like, everyone gathered. Everyone gathered, and their eyes and their faces were all drawn to the, the, the lights. And that's kind of that picture, you imagine this. Imagine, they understood, Moses is going to meet with God. And, and, and not only is he going to meet with God, but this, the pillar actually stops at the front of the tent. And it says that the people stood outside their tents and watched this incident and watched this happen. Verse 10, it says, And when, when all the people saw the pillar of clouds standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, "See, you say to me, bring up this people, but have you not let me know or, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me? You have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight." Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this people is your people, or that consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest And he said to him, if your presence, this is now Moses, God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses says in verse 15, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you. Therefore, you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by by me where you shall stand on the rock and while my glory passes i will put you in a cleft in the rock and i will cover you with my hand until i have passed by then i will take away my hand and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen it's a fascinating account it's one of my favorite accounts in exodus uh, in in really just describing moses and this unique relationship that he has uh, I think you Moses is so unique in the sense that you see the weight of what he's carrying. I mean, you think you have a stressful job? Uh, imagine trying to lead God's people uh, out of Egypt, and, and, and you see through all the account, if you've been walking through Genesis and then Exodus, you, you, you see this the account that they weren't an easy people to lead. And so Moses was, would go and he'd have these meetings in the tent of meeting, and, and you just see a very unique picture of who Moses is and, and, and the relationship that Moses has with God. And And I'd like us just to look at four or five key things that we can see in this passage that not only helps us to better understand Moses, but I really think it can help us understand, if we take the same approach, how we can approach God's word, how we can approach community in worship together as we come into... Prepare our hearts for worship. That there are things we can do in in keeping our focus. That that would be transforming in our lives, much in the way that we see with Moses and God's people. One of the first things I see is Moses is described as being a friend a friend of God. He's in a very special relationship with God. Exodus uh, thirty three. 11, you see the phrase that says, the Lord used to speak to Moses as a man speaks to his friend. So you have these, this theme throughout this passage that you can't see me face to face or surely you're going to die. And yet Moses is invited into this intimate friendship, this intimate fellowship with God, and is described as being a friendship, talking to Moses talked to God just like you and I would talk face-to-face with a friend. Moses is, is not only in special relationship with God, but, but he is, he's is he been chosen to lead. And, and you see Moses fulfilling this role as an interceder, an intercessor. He's, he's interceding for his people. And, and that's what we see in verses 12 through 13. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you send with me. Yet you have said, I, I know you by name. Look, at this phrase is re- here and it's repeated again. I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Look at look at these two phrases that are repeated later in the chapter as well. I, I know you by name, and you found favor in my sight. Those the, those themes you see throughout the Old and New Testament. That, that God invites us to be into a relationship where we where He knows us and we know Him. It, there's an intimacy in describing this type of knowledge, and and that idea of being known by God and knowing God that what Moses is expressing his desire is is directly connected to this idea of receiving God's favor. In the New Testament we, we would connect that to the theme of God's grace. That God we've talked before, God demonstrates his mercy and his grace toward us. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. We deserve death, we deserve punishment, but God gives us mercy. He he takes those Jesus took those things upon himself. But he also gives us favor. It's getting what we don't deserve. Eternal life, God's presence at work in our lives. There's so many ways in which we experience not only God's mercy, but we experience God's favor. And, and you see this happening in Moses' life. Moses was not a perfect person. Remember, Moses' early part of his story, he commits murder and has to run away out of fear for his own life. And, and yet Moses is called by God and sent back to deliver, be used by God to deliver his people out of Egypt. Moses, from the beginning of his faithfulness in, in accepting that call, even though he was reluctant when he did so, is entering into a relationship where, where God not only knew him and called him out by name, but Moses knew this God. He knew him as the true God, and, and he, you see in these verses a desire to know him
1: more. You know, as Christ's followers, we're invited into that type of a relationship. You may, when you go into your living room
0: and open up your Bible, uh, it's probably pretty likely you don't have a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire in the other room. You're not experiencing a lot of the things that you see, the visible, tangible signs of God's presence that Moses was experiencing. And yet, you know, sometimes we look at those things and we think that we're at a disadvantage. The reality is, We're in an advantage because of what Jesus did on the cross and and dying for us and making a way for us to approach God's throne of grace with confidence. We can enter into a relationship with God without that fear, not based on who we are what we have done because we put our faith and trust in what Jesus has done for us. That is the blessing of the Christian. And and we not only find forgiveness and enter into a relationship with him, but then we have the promise of the, the Holy Spirit coming and living in us the very spirit of Christ coming to live in us. So that we can enter into relationship with him to where when we open up our Bible each day, part of our focus needs to be, and and if you've never thought of reading your Bible in this way, think about this, that you're, you're setting aside time to visit a friend. You're setting aside time to sit in God's presence to get to know him, to know he knows you and you want to know him more. And you're developing a friendship Jesus says in John 15, 15, he tells his disciples, he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father I have made known to you. And Paul, Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 18, we we see some comparisons made by Paul of our relationship to God as New Testament believers, as Christians, as Christ followers. You see some similarities in how we relate to God as Moses does. But you also see in these verses describing um, some of the advantages that we have. Things that Moses didn't experience. And, and again, 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 18, the words are not on the screen. So if you have your Bible, you can flip to that or look at it later. It says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites would not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. <clears throat> Basically, when Moses would come down out of the mountain, his face was sh- so sh- shined with God's glory in his presence that he had to veil himself. And, and so those verse saying that, that that shining would eventually dissipate. It says, verse 14, But their minds were hardened, and for this, to, for, to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, That same veil remained unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yet to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And and we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Now, there, there, we could take a couple of weeks to look at that passage. There's so much there. But I, I want you to look at that idea that Moses, in his experience, is different than the experience of the New Testament believer. We, we approach God with unveiled faces. We can, we can experience the glory of the Lord, and we experience a transforming, that God transforms us as we spend time with him in this friendship, in his, in his presence. He changes us. He transforms
1: us. Jesus invites us to develop a friendship with him. Through Christ, we can have
0: a friendship with our creator. And, and it's what Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, when Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and eat with him and he with me. That's the picture, that, that often I hear those verses used to describe inviting someone to enter into a relationship with Jesus for the first time, but the, those words are actually written to Christians, to believers, and it's an invitation to fellowship, it's an invitation to friendship. And so I want to ask you, this week, when you, open, when you take time to read God's word, whether you're doing Mission 119 or you're doing your own thing, are you taking time to open up God's word to nurture a friendship? to nurture a relationship, because Christ has made the way for you to know him. <clears throat> in verse 13, we see another principle here with Moses. In verse 13, it says, Now therefore, I have, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight, and consider too that this nation is your people. This phrase is, Now, he says, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways. This idea of show me your ways, that that word way is used throughout the scriptures. If you read through Proverbs, it's there a lot. We see it in the New Testament as well. The idea of the way is a path, a road, literally. It's the road or the path that you might walk, but it it carries this idea of the way we live, our conduct, our behavior. And, And so... Moses is calling out to God, show me how to live. Show me your ways. Show me how I am to live. For what reason? So that I may know you. This idea of being in a friendship with God is intricately connected to this invitation and this desire to know God's ways. And and just a time out for a second. I think often I hear, I talk to people that they want a relationship with God. They want to know God's working in their life. But I often find they struggle. I've talked to believers at times that struggle though with the idea of saying, well, I want God to bless my life. I know how I want to live my life. I want to live my life and I want God to bless me. And I want God to be working as I live my own life. And, And what Moses is demonstrating here that for us to really know him, for us to be nurturing this friendship and this relationship with him is we have to know the way that God has for us, the,
1: the, the life that he is calling us to. In Exodus, we see that, that God reveals the way for his
0: people. He, he gives the Ten Commandments. He gives all the ceremonial law and all those things that you're struggling with reading through Exodus and Leviticus all these great details of, of, of how God's people are to live. Jesus then comes and he says he didn't, came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And you read through Matthew 5 and 6, and you look at the Sermon on the Mount, you see Jesus describes the kingdom of God as a description of how his people are to live. But then Jesus not only came and taught us how to live, in dying on the cross and, and rising again, and, and then with the promise of God's Holy Spirit, when we come to faith in Christ, when we repent and we turn to Jesus, God's Spirit comes to live inside of us to show us the way. We, we sang about this, this this morning. This idea of keeping in step with Jesus, walking in step is like what we see in Paul in, in Galatians 5, 16 and 17, that idea of, of keeping in step with God's Spirit is again, remembering God's Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When we talk about God's Spirit living in us, it's the very Spirit of Christ living in us, fulfilling or living out his life through us. And part of the Christian life is living a life in which we're surrendered to, to follow Christ in his way and what he wants us to do, but know that it's not just following his instructions, it's letting Jesus live in us and through us. When you approach God's word, you go with the approach that I'm going to read not to have it affirm what I'm already doing, not to read, have read God's word to affirm what I already believe, but I'm going to open up God's word with the understanding that I'm sur- submitting to God's word so that if God wants to point something out in our life that needs to change, he can put his finger on it and, w- and we can recognize the need to repent, to surrender, Align ourselves with God's word and his truth. Second Timothy three, sixteen through seventeen says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for good work. If you're reading God's word each day and it's just an intellectual pursuit, you're not going to get the benefit of developing and nurturing a relationship, a friendship. If, if you go to God's word and you're looking to just find proof texts in God's word to affirm what you already believe, would affirm the life that you already are living, you're not going to experience the fullness of God's spirit in your life in, 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 in the depths of this relationship, because Moses understood that to really know him, to know the Father, he needed to know God's ways. And for the Christian, we know that that all comes down to a relationship with Jesus because Jesus says in John 14:6 that I am the way,
1: the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. There's another phrase in this passage that will introduce the third, third principle.
0: God invites us to, again, open up, your word, open up God's word this week, seeking friendship, seeking fellowship with God. Open up God's word to let God's word evaluate our own hearts and our own lives, like a plumb line. If you understand construction, a plumb line, a carpenter would hang a line to show what is straight. And you build your walls according to that plumb line, not according to what, some other thing. We, we live in a world in which we might be tempted to just have our own ideas or, or look at what society is telling us. We need to be in God's word, know what God's word is telling us. Walking in step with God's spirit so that we're aligning ourselves with God's word. But there's another key phrase that introduces a, one of the key principles in this whole passage about God's presence. I, I love the fact that Moses ends and said, and he says this, he says, consider too that this nation is your people.
1: Basically, this is Moses saying, hey, did you see what your daughter did? Did you see what your son did? Any parents ever do that? Um, uh, yeah, I know I'm not the only parent that's ever did that, right? Okay.
0: I mean, Moses, in all the frustrating experiences, he's like, look, this is your people. This isn't my people. This is your people. And, and so we see Moses here, he's, again, he's interceding. And it, we explained already that Exodus 32, you had the incident of, Mo, of Israel's sin. And now Moses is interceding for, his, for God's people so that, that he w- God will continue to bless his people with his presence. Verse 30, 33, Exodus 33:3 says, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, this is God's word to Israel, but I will not go up among you. These are God's words after the incident with uh, the calf, the golden calf. And now Moses, in the verses that we read, is pleading. He, he knows that, that, that they as a nation are, are, are going to be toast, literally. They're, they're not, they're not going to experience all that, that God has promised them if God doesn't go with them, if he's not present with them. And so there's this contrast between God's word in verse 33, or 33-3, I will not go among you, to now in verse 14, God says, my presence will go with you. Moses is interceding, and so now God is, is, is relented. And, and he's now promising his presence again. He says in verse 14, and he says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, and Moses says in response, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, is that you're not, you're going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of this earth. Moses has heard God relent. He's, he's now saying, okay, I'm not, not, going to not go with you. I'm, I'm going to go with you. And Moses is just dogmatic about this and, 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 and very, he sees how critical this issue is. He says, if your presence will not go with me, don't, don't bring us up from here. Moses is basically saying, I'm not going to take another step further unless I know, God, you are going to be with us, leading us. Not just showing us where to go, but you're going to be in our midst. Moses understood the need of God's presence for himself, but he also understood the the need for God's presence for his people. And and you see God in this passage that we we read, you see God answer the prayer for Moses. You see God promising his presence. And and you see Moses have this incredible experience of of being hidden in the cleft of the the rock as God passes. Moses is experiencing his presence but we also see, if we keep reading through Exodus, God also promises His presence to His people. And chapters chapters thirty-five through forty is the focus is on God's tabernacle, the tabernacle, this tent, where it wouldn't just be Moses meeting with God, but the tabernacle represented the place where God would be in the midst of the people. We see God answering this this. this this call of of being present in their lives. And I think for the believer, for the New Testament believer, for those of us that have put our faith and trust in Christ, we need to understand how critical it is for us to be walking in the presence of God and seeking his presence. I, I love the Psalms, whether it's Psalm 63 or a lot of the other Psalms where David is crying out for his presence, God's
1: presence. In Psalm 51, in David's psalm of confession, what is the thing that he's most worried about losing? God's presence. He says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Moses, or
0: David understood the need for God's presence in his life. And, and as believers, we, we have been given the opportunity by inviting Christ into our hearts and our lives, by allowing God's Spirit to be at work in us, we, we get to experience God's presence in a way that is even superior than anything the Old Testament describes. And yet we too often don't nurture that. We don't pursue God's presence in a way that that we're seeking to know him more. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul describes the Christian life in this way, that he's, he's living and trusting that it's not Paul living, it's Christ living in him and through him. We're called in Ephesians 5.18 to, to be filled with the Spirit, literally a present tense, be being filled with God's Spirit. Being filled with his Spirit is a way of experiencing God's presence. And it's so critical for us. I, you know, I think sometimes we only connect God's presence with special mountaintop experiences. I, I've shared that I've had some retreats over the years where, some of you know, Jamonville Camp, uh, down Methodist Camp outside of Uniontown. Big. If you ever drive down in that area, you see the big cross up on the hill. Um, there were some powerful. I had some powerful leadership retreats there, and times where I was working with youth and where God met met us when we very present. I also look back when I think of God's presence. I c- to this day, can't, I cannot walk into Hughes Auditorium at Asbury College. Correct that, Asbury University now. Um, still college in my head. But, um, but when you walk into Hughes Auditorium, the place where the 1970 revival took place, there's a sense, a tangible sense of God's presence. That he's there. He's working. God invites us to have that type of a sense of his presence in our lives day in and day out. Whether it's opening up God's word in those early mornings and spending time seeking his presence, seeking to know he's there, to listen for his still small voice and and, and, and invite him to reveal himself to you. Or whether it's doing like Brother Lawrence and practicing the presence of God, he writes about when he's washing the dishes doing the menial task, that you can be aware of God's presence and cultivate that and, and realize you're not alone. God is with you. I want to encourage you this week when you're in God's word and throughout your day in whatever tasks you might be doing, seek to be more aware of God's presence and let God speak to you. <clears throat> Next point you see in this principle, a principle you see in verses 17 through 19. You see this issue that God, or Moses is also seeking God's glory, to see and experience God's glory. It says in verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy you know we, we look at this account and we see the miraculous we read even through the Old and New Testament you see the miracles and God acting and doing incredible things we think well are we going to see those type of things some of you I know have experienced God healing some of you have seen God move in miraculous ways and keeping you safe but you know even apart from the miraculous that I believe God can still do today, and God still does do today, because Jesus is the same today and forever. But even apart from the miraculous, seeing God's glory, experiencing God's glory in our life is, is, is more about changing our heart and our mind of how we approach God in that we're seeking to see God's greatness. That we're seeking God's greatness. I appreciate Reverend Soper has encouraged you if you've been walking through the scriptures to have a notebook and, and different themes and like he talks about God's covenants and other, other things. One of the things that I think is a very powerful way to read, God, read God's word is read a passage of scripture and say, God, what does this tell me about you? Because when we open up God's word, we, we see God's greatness, we see his power. We, we see his holiness that we're going to talk more about next week. We, we see God's mercy. We see his steadfast love. We see his goodness. What's amazing is this account that we're not going to dive in too deep here today, but this account where God puts Moses in the cleft of the rock and, and, and passes by, the focus on what God reveals to Moses isn't as much in what Moses sees It's on the very character of God that he reveals about himself in in crying out the name of the Lord, the name of Yahweh, as he passes. You see God's beauty. You see God's greatness. You see his power. You see his character, his steadfast love. All the things that you see in that passage are giving us a picture of God's greatness and who he is and his character. And I think there's something that's transforming of how we approach God's word when we go to God's word with a desire to know God more, to not only know his ways but to, and to experience his presence, but that we want to know his glory. We want to know his greatness. I, I, I will tell you this. If, if, you're, if you're at a point in your life where you think there's nothing really worth sharing about your faith in Christ, or you're not excited about telling other people about God and your relationship with him, I would to borrow a phrase from J.B. Phillips in a book title that he wrote years ago, "Your God is too small." He writes and unpacks that theme of "Your God is too small," because I think if, if you're not excited about who God is and His greatness and his beauty and His mercy and His holiness and His grace, whatever characters God's word reveals about who He is, your God is too small. And we need to be like Moses when we open up God's word. We need to be hungry to see his glory. And when we do that, when we, when we begin to cultivate God's presence in our life, when we begin to have this greater picture of God's glory and his greatness, and we begin to see God not only manifesting his presence in our lives, in the life of our congregation, but then letting his greatness be seen in the things that he's doing in our lives, in the life of our congregation, it changes how we interact with the world. And this is where I want to end, going back to verse 16. Verse 16, you may have missed this, but he says, How shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight and your people? Is it not your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of this earth? Moses is saying, look, not only do we need your presence, but how, how are we going to be any different than any other nation if it's not your presence working in us? And think about that in your own Christian life. If, if God isn't actively working in your heart and your life, if you're not growing in a friendship with him, if you're not growing in your, an awareness of his presence in your life and, and spending time with him, if you're not cultivating a greater understanding of God's greatness and his, and his glory and his goodness and all the things that describe him, the things that when you think, this is the God that has called me, this is the God that I serve and I'm excited about it and I want to tell others about who God is. It's, it's God working in us and through us that Moses
1: understood was what was going to make them distinct from every other nation. As Christians... I think we need to worry less about what the world is doing and
0: more about what we're doing in cultivating a relationship with God so that our hearts and our lives are transformed, our hearts and our lives are changed to where God's presence
1: and his glory are seen in us. Because the world is less and less interested. But I
0: believe that if we are developing and nurturing a a relationship with the living God, and we're enthused and we're excited about pursuing and seeking after God's presence and, and allowing God's glory to be working in us and, and see God's greatness. I love the fact that the Hebrew word for God's glory, the word kabod, literally means heavy. It's a weight. There's a, there's a heaviness to who God is and his greatness. We need to be so fixated on and developing God's presence in our lives and, and fixated on God and his glory that it is the key of what changes us and makes us distinct and different from the world. I want to encourage you today to... Okay, that's a little startling. Um, I want to encourage you today to think back over each of these principles and and to think, this week, as I open up God's word each day, as I take time to set aside time in God's word, pick at least one or two of these themes. Whether it's, say, I'm going to focus on developing a friendship. I'm going to focus on cultivating God's presence. I'm going to focus on seeking God's ways and aligning myself to his will or I'm gonna focus on and getting a greater picture of God's glory and his greatness and, and invite his power to be at work in our lives. Focus on at least one or two of those things this week with the desire that he not only draw you deeper in your relationship with him, but he would transform you in such a way that people around you would notice. That they will look and say, I don't know what it is about this person, but they're distinct, they're different.
1: And let the answer be Jesus and his spirit working in us. You pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful, Lord, that you call us not only to,
0: to know about you. you, you invite us to know you, to be in relationship with you. And I, I just pray that today that you would increase our desire for you, that like the psalmist, that we would seek after you, earnestly seek after you that we would desire to know you, to know your ways, to to be in your presence, to seek your glory
1: and your greatness. Lord, if we're not excited about you, we we really don't have an accurate picture of who you are.
0: I just pray that today and in these coming days that you would increase within our mind, Lord, a a greater understanding of, of your greatness. Your power, your beauty, your holiness, your goodness, your mercy, your steadfast love. There's so many ways in which we can describe you, Lord, even just focusing on your love for us. Lord, I just pray that
1: you would do a new work in our hearts and lives this day and draw us closer to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.